Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Today I want to talk with you about a scripture that's been hitting me really hard lately. And I just find it so powerful and important as we begin this new year. It's uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Um, I've done lots of Bible studies on the first part of this text, um, which I'm going to just summarize quickly and then move on to the citation that of, of Isaiah chapter 40 that is uh, in especially prominent in Luke's gospel. And this is really describing um, a posture, I think, of a prophetic posture that is open to to Jesus and um, that prepares the way for us to have eyes to see and to be able to welcome, you know, the, the, the presence of Jesus now. This begins um, in verse 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was the tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, interestingly, these are all, um, you know, sort of names of political, you know, and also um, religious leaders. And this is typical of, of introductions to prophetic books throughout the Old Testament. And so John is being presented as a prophet who's situated, you know, in the, in the reigns of these different um, leaders, these Roman Roman um, leaders and also religious, Jewish religious leaders. What's interesting is it's the word of the Lord doesn't come to any of these powerful people, but the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And remember that Zechariah was a priest who was uh, an unbelieving priest. He was a priest who was in the temple. The angel Gabriel shows up when he was in the Holy of Holies at this special appointed time. And the priest tells him, Zachariah, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth's going to give birth. And he um, he responds to the prophetic word um, by saying, well, how will I know? And and that's when Gabriel says, well, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And, and you'll be unable to speak until uh, until this uh, your son is born. And he told him he should call him John and everything, right? So anyway, being the son of Zachariah, I don't think was probably that much like a prominent position or whatever in society. But he was part of this priestly tradition, priestly clan. And and so normally um, a son of a priest would become a priest. But here he's being presented as a prophet, uh, which is maybe why his name was called John instead of Zechariah, because uh, this was really a breaking with the whole tradition, you know, and and the angel is is giving a name. Um, that is, you know, is showing that John is is someone different, and and he is the forerunner of the of of Jesus. So there he is. He's in the wilderness. He's not in a place of power. He's in a place of you know desolation. And then verse three, and he came into all the district around the Jordan, and um, and so right away he's propelled by this word into this borderland region along the Jordan which um, really was the, the boundary between the land of Israel and the wilderness. And what's he doing there? Well, he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
So he came into all the district around the Jordan, very inclusive word there, and um, and he's preaching, he's proclaiming, announcing the baptism, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, who would be the likely beneficiary of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Who might step into that kind of a movement and be drawn into that kind of a movement? You know, what sort of attitude would you need to have to be drawn into a movement such as that? You know, I think um, I was asking that question to a bunch of homeless guys in a shelter today. And they were saying, well, you know, someone who was down, who, um, you know, who saw themselves as in need of forgiveness. And surely that that's the case, you know, um, to be open to listening to a preaching of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins would require that you would know that you needed that. You needed to um, step into a place of of humble changing of your mindset, you know, repentance, and which may include, you know, like being sorry for your sins. You know, repentance is often associated with sackcloth and ashes, right? And forgiveness of sins is um, something that John was proclaiming and and that's what people were doing when they were coming to be baptized with him or by him later in this chapter as they were confessing all their sins and then going under the waters and being cleansed of those sins and then coming up uh, refreshed and renewed. And and then here you have the citation of, of Isaiah chapter 40. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, and it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So here, um, this quote from Isaiah is being, um, being written and in reference to John being that voice that's crying in the wilderness. Um, and he's crying out, make ready, uh, second plural imperatives, the way of the Lord. So uh, John was someone that was, um, you know, was calling people to, uh, to, to make the way ready for the Lord and to make his path straight. And so that was something that his listeners were invited to engage in and participate in. And I believe we too are called to uh, to be like John, to speak that word, to be that voice crying in the wilderness, to be recruiters of a movement um, that would ready people, ready the way of the Lord, and and make the Lord's path straight. And um, and so, this is something that I believe is highly relevant to us now. And and how do we do that? And who might be um, the people that would be that would be most receptive to that message? So verse 5, every ravine will be filled, or some translations say every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. I asked the men in this um, Bible study at this homeless day center today, you know, what they thought the ravine, um, you know, or the valley that was to be filled represented. And in contrast, you know, what did every mountain and hill that would be brought low, what, what did they represent? And almost immediately, um, the guy in front of me, an older man named John, said, um, look, I think it means 
uh, the poor and the marginalized, um, you know, the people that are down and out, they're the ones that are going to be raised up. And um, the, the oppressors and the powerful, they're going to be brought down. And I said, okay, well, who would be the valley people? Um, who would be, um, you know, those ones that that stand to benefit from being raised up, who are, who are down now? Who would they be? And uh, the men looked around at each other at this around this table, all these homeless guys, and they said, well, you know, addicts, people on the streets, you know, people who, you know, who are broken. And uh, right away they caught that, and I was really surprised and and uh, actually amazed. And I have been working on this text for a while, just thinking about, you know, some of the theology that's out there, especially the theology of the seven mountains that has been prominent in certain charismatic circles and uh, that talks about how Christians are to take the high places of our society and to sort of rule and reign um, from those places of government, the media, science, you know, the arts, uh, the economy, politics, government, that kind of thing. And and what's interesting is this text actually seems to be talking about um, the opposite. You know, the there's low places that need to be brought up, and then the high places need to be brought down. And so there's a leveling of, 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 of society and equalization, it looks like, in this text. But um, I wanted to verify that a little bit more. And so I, I looked at some of the language of, uh, like, in particular, this word that says, uh, every ravine will be filled. Um, and this next one, every mountain and hill will be brought low. Like, um, I assume this is not talking about some kind of um, earth-moving effort, you know, where actual mountains and hills are going to be brought low. Um, but it's symbolic of something. And 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 that's what seems to fit the context. After all, we're talking um, about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But I looked up the verb in the Greek um, text, tapenoo, which is to be humbled or to be brought low. And then I looked at it in the Septuagint version, you know, and um, you know because Isaiah um, is actually being cited in the Greek text of the Old Testament, the Septuagint version of Isaiah forty. And this is this is the verb that appears there as well. But let's look at some of the occurrences um, of this verb. Tape no o. Second Samuel twenty two twenty eight. And thou wilt save the poor people, and wilt bring down the eyes of the haughty. So there, it's the eyes of the haughty that are being brought down. Um, in you know, rather than say mountains and, and hills, it's the eyes of the haughty. Second uh, Chronicles twenty four. 27. As for the words that you heard, and your heart was embarrassed, and you were humbled from before me, when you heard my words regarding this place and regarding those who inhabit it, and you were humbled before me, and tore your garments, and you wept before me, I on my part also heard you, says the Lord. So um, clearly, this is talking about, um, you know, a humbling that is reminiscent of or parallel to repentance. In fact, it's describing the people really coming in um, and repenting, um, humbling themselves before God, tearing their garments and weeping, and God hearing that. And uh, Psalm 1727, and this is the Septuagint version, so this would be uh, Psalm 1827 in the 
in our normal Bibles, which are, you know, translate, translated from the Hebrew. Because it is you who will save a humble people, in the eyes of the haughty, you will humble. So once again, the eyes of the haughty will be brought low or humble. Isaiah 43, 19, um, because you humbled us in a place of ill treatment and death's shadow covered us. Psalm 43, 25, because our soul was humbled down to the dust, our stomach clung to the ground. Psalm 71, 4, he shall judge the poor of the people in righteousness and save the children of the needy and shall bring low the false accuser. That's the word um, bringing low in this case, the false accuser, right? Uh, rather than mountains and hills. Psalm 74, 7, because God is judge, this one he humbles and that one he exalts. Psalm 87, 15, poor I am and in troubles from my youth. And after being exalted, I was humbled and became perplexed. Psalm 88.10, it is you who brought low a proud one like one wounded. With the arm of your power, you scattered your enemies. So there it's a proud one, um, God's enemies that are, that are brought low. Psalm 115.6, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he delivered me. Psalm 142, verse 3, Because the enemy pursued my soul, he humbled my life to the ground. He made me sit in dark places like those long dead. Now, in this case, it's the enemy that's doing that. But but being at that in that place of being low, that is actually a, a, a privileged place spiritually because it's from that place that the psalmist cries out. Psalm 146, 6, When the Lord picks up the weak, meek, but humbles sinners to the ground so there we go sinners are brought low to the ground job 22 does not he who dwells on high observe and has he not humbled those born along by pride hosea 7:10. and israel's pride will be humbled against him yet they have not returned to the lord their god and have not sought him in all this and now coming to isaiah itself um, there's a lot of texts that I think are especially powerful. Um, Isaiah 2.11 For the eyes of the Lord are high, but man is low, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low, and the Lord also shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts should be upon everyone that is proud and haughty, and upon everyone that is high and towering, and they shall be brought down. So um, now we're getting close to the you know, the large, uh, the broad literary context of Isaiah 40, right? Uh, verse 17 of Isaiah 2, And every person shall be humbled, and the loftiness of men shall fall, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. Isaiah three seventeen, God will bring low the ruling daughters of Zion, and the Lord will expose their form in that day. Isaiah five fifteen, A person shall be brought low, and a man shall be dishonored. And the eyes that are high shall be brought low. Isaiah 10.33 Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will mightily confound the glorious ones, and the haughty pride shall be crushed, and the lofty brought low. Isaiah 13.11 And I will command evils for the whole world, and will visit their sins on the ungodly. And I will destroy the pride of transgressors, and I will bring low the pride of the haughty. 
Isaiah 26, 6, who has humbled and brought down strong cities and bring them to the ground. Jeremiah 13 to 18, say to the king and to those in power, be humble and sit down because your crown of glory has been removed from your head. I mean, really what is going on in these texts is these are texts describing this judgment of the powerful. And these are in alignment with um, something that is everywhere in scripture. You know, that God is about a reversal. You know, the powerful are coming down and the meek and the humble and the weak are, are being raised up. And that is the movement of God in, in history. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Ezekiel 17, 24. And all the trees of the plain shall know that I am the Lord. He who brings low a high tree and exalts a low tree and withers a green tree and makes a dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Ezekiel 21, 26. This is what the Lord says. Remove the turban and put off the crown. This shall not be such. You abased that which is high and exalted that which is low. Daniel 3, 8, 38. Nevertheless, in a contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be accepted. So now let's look at some of the usages of that same Greek verb in the New Testament, beginning with Matthew 18, 4. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Same, same text. Luke 18, 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified. It's talking about the publican, or the tax collector, rather than the other, that is the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Philippians 2.8, this is talking about Jesus being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And um, then James 4.10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. First Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So see, these scriptures are just really powerful, and they, they show, I think, um, the meaning of that verb in, um, in the Old and New Testament, which I think is is, uh, you know, really gives us clarity about how to interpret it here in Luke chapter 3 and even also in Isaiah chapter 40. Now let's just look at um, the word, the name, the word humble, tapenos, okay, which is tied to this verb. Uh, it has the same, same root. So that means uh, humiliated uh, or even depressed, base, cast down, humble of low degree or low estate, lowly. So um, here we're just going to look at some texts from the New Testament. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Luke 1, 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. And that's immediately preceding um, our text in Luke 3, isn't it? This is coming here from the Magnificat, which we're going to look at briefly a, a little bit later. 
Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty of mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, but God who comforts the humble comforted us by the coming of Titus. 2 Corinthians 10, 1, now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. James 1, 9, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. So there's a, there's a complete turning upside down of that notion of humility, right? It's a high position that we're to glory in that high position of being in humble circumstances. James 4, 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger people, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, looking back at Luke, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Um, which is, once again, second plural imperatives, make ready and make his path straight. So um, what this looks like, well, we have this um, declaration that every ravine or every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. So, um, you know, interestingly, the, the term to be filled there is a term that means, um, that can mean to, you know, like it's the same term in the Greek Old Testament of Genesis 1, where uh, the woman and the man are told to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So it's really about, um, you know, coming into these places of, 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 you know, the valleys, the ravines, the low places um, of the world. You know, where are these low places of the world? You know, I, I know that the men that I was just with in the homeless shelter, they saw the low places as the streets where there's a uh, opioid epidemic uh, pandemic that's underway right now where so many people are dying of fentanyl overdoses and we've been going out on Wednesday, on Fridays and ministering to these people and and so clearly these are some of the valleys um, of our region and the jails um, our jails our county jails across the United States and throughout the world I mean these are places where people often sit forever while they're waiting for their trial which often it you know, takes sometimes years to happen uh, in places where, you know, where the, that, that's not a priority and people that can't post bail and are just stuck there in, um, in the jail system until they, they go to trial. I mean, these are definitely low places. Uh, those that struggle with uh, mental health disorders and, you know, that like chronic issues that are like depression, um, bipolar and, um, you know, psych psychosis. I mean, there's there's so many people struggling um, with with these sorts of issues and with chronic illnesses and the aging. You know, people that are in um, in you know um, nursing homes and who are hospitalized and often who are just so lonely and isolated. Um, we saw so much of that these last few years as I accompanied my mom and my dad in the last uh, years of their lives and. Um, and maybe you can think of some other places in your setting. You know, I think of where we're heading to Casablanca, uh, Morocco, where there's all these sub-Saharan African migrants that have made their way up to 
Morocco, hoping to cross the Mediterranean into, into Spain. And many have settled there and, you know, and are uh, foreigners from, you know, from nations that are war-torn nations. And these are people that um, are struggling. And just the, the many, many thousands and thousands of people on our southern borders in the United States who are coming from Central America and, and actually from all over the world. I mean, people from Africa and from Russia and from so many people are trying to cross into the United States from the Mexican border. And are, um, these are people that are desperate. And, um, you know, same thing, people trying to come into England from France and, you know, and, and cross the Mediterranean from, you know, North Africa. And so, you know, we have places like um, the Ukraine where you have many refugees and, and you have, you know, Russians who are being, um, you know, many, many Russian soldiers are losing their lives in the war as well. And Ukrainians, uh, civilians and Russian and Ukrainian soldiers. So the low places of our world are places where, uh, according to Luke chapter 3, um, every ravine will be filled. Okay, that's like a prophetic promise, isn't it? And um, what's interesting is that in the Greek version, it doesn't say every valley or every ravine will be exalted, like it does actually in the Hebrew um, version of Isaiah chapter 40. It says every valley will be um, lifted up, okay? But here it's just filled, which means um, we can't expect um, the low those that are in the in the low places to to be exalted into a place of power that's not what what is being luke is is saying here through his language but it's it's more like uh there's an equalization where um every mountain and hill will be brought low and every ravine will be filled and um and then it says um the crooked will become straight and i've worked at that on that a little bit too the word crooked uh scolios in greek which i think is really an interesting word like scoliosis and um, let's just look at some of the language of scolios in, in the Psalms and in Isaiah they that should not be like their fathers or that they should not be like their fathers a generation crooked and embittered a generation which did not set its heart aright and its spirit was not faithful to God so there crooked is talking about it's it's a it's in parallelism with embittered and it's talking about um, a generation of people that are, are crooked. Um, and this this hope that, that that this next generation won't be like their fathers who were crooked and embittered um, and who didn't set their heart aright and who were not faithful to God. Isaiah 27.1 On that day God will bring his holy and great and strong dagger against the dragon, a fleeing snake against a dragon, a crooked snake, and he will kill the dragon. So, um, so there it's the snake, it's the serpent, it's, it's Satan, um, who is being described as crooked, right? Uh, Proverbs 2, 13 to 16. Oh, those who abandon straight ways to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in evil and are happy about evil perverseness, whose paths are crooked and their course are bent in order to remove you far from the straight way and to make you a stranger to a righteous option opinion. Isaiah 42, 16, And I will lead the blind by a road that they have not known, and I will make them tread paths that they had no knowledge of. I will turn the darkness into light for them, and the crooked places into a straight path. I will do these things, 
and I will not forsake them. So see, that's really a prophetic word in alignment with Isaiah chapter 40, isn't it? In Luke, Luke 3. And then in the New Testament, we have two texts, Acts 2.40. And with many other words, he, that is Peter, solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse or um, crooked, is the word, generation. Philippians 2.15, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights of the world. And um, and so the crooked will become straight, right? And that term straight is also just, you know, highly spiritual and theological. It's the word um, euthus. And we have um, many examples of it. It's um, it's often used as, a, you know, upright of heart. It's uh, translated upright. So, you know, so the crooked will become straight or upright. Uh, Psalm 18.8, the ordinances of the Lord are right. That is, uh, you know, euthos, euthos uh, upright or straight, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is bright, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 26.11, teach me, O Lord, in your way and guide me a right in a right path because of mine enemies. That's uh, the right path would be the straight path. Psalm 31.11, and um, remember, these, this is Septuagint, so it's normally... In the Hebrew Bible, or our English version is 32, 11, so it's always a chapter difference. Be glad in the Lord and exalt, ye righteous, and glory all ye that are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous. Praise becomes the upright. Psalm 106, 7, and he guided them into a straight path that they might go to a city of habitation. Psalm 142, 10, teach me to do your will. For you are my God, your good spirit shall guide me in the straight way. Proverbs 2.13 Alas for those who forsake right paths to walk in ways of darkness. Proverbs 2.16 To remove thee far from the straight way, and to estrange thee from a righteous purpose. My son, let not evil counsel overtake thee. Proverbs 2.19 None that go by her shall return. Neither shall they take hold of right paths, for they are not apprehended of the years of life. Hosea 14.10 Who is wise? Who will understand these things, or prudent, and will know them? For the ways of the Lord are straight, and the righteous shall walk in them, but the ungodly shall fall therein. Isaiah 26.7 The way of the godly is made straight, and the way of the godly is also prepared. Isaiah 33, 15, the one that walks in righteousness, speaking rightly, hating transgression and iniquity. And then um, Isaiah 42, 16, and I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not, and I will cause them to tread paths which they have not known, and I will turn darkness into light for them, and crooked things into straight. These things will I do, and will not forsake them. And then two more texts, Ezekiel 33, 17. Yet the children of thy people will say, the way of the Lord is not straight, whereas this, their way, is not straight. And then verse 20, kind of same idea. And this is that which he said, the way of the Lord is not straight. I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one for his ways. So you can see how this citation from Isaiah chapter 40 really fits the setting where John the Baptist is um, 
is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So if we are to benefit from this uh, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as we go into this um, new year, it looks to me like we need to be paying attention. Um, we need to realize that that we have a role to prepare the way of the Lord and to make the Lord's path straight. Um, but that involves we ourselves, you know, being part of this movement of, you know, of the ravines being filled. So maybe we ourselves need to be lifted up from a downtrodden place. And um, we need to be receiving the comfort that, that we need in order to be able to, um, you know, to be filled ourselves. And, um, or perhaps we're like the mountain and the hill that needs to first be brought low. Or maybe there's parts of us that are exalted and where there's pride and there's um, closed mindedness and resistance to um, the, pro the proclamation of, you know, God's word that, um, and we need to be um, humbled and, um, or choose to humble ourselves. And in it's, in stepping into this movement that the crooked will become straight. You know, um, we as um, the crooked parts of ourselves, um, God wants us to be part of the conversion process, you know, to be, um, for us to be reoriented towards what's most essential towards, towards God um, and uh, the rough roads smooth. And all of this is so that all flesh will see the salvation of God. So, we ourselves want to be seeing the salvation of God, but we're part of a movement. We're invited into a movement as disciples of Jesus to, you know, to be part of seeing um, the salvation of God and inviting everyone else in um, wherever they might be into that same movement. So um, today when I was leading this Bible study with these homeless guys, um, I didn't go through every one of these texts like I've done with, with you, but um, you know, we were, we came to a point where I I wanted to share with them a beautiful uh, part of the Messiah, of Handel's Messiah that I've been reading or listening to. That's really touched me. And I want to play some of that right now. And um, as I played this for the men, um, people were just deeply touched by this. And it felt like, um, like such fine, beautiful uh, singing that just kind of, filled this room and um, and it felt like it was a very dignifying moment in our Bible study. And I'm just going to play a part of this and then I want to um, end by looking at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort my people, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. So anyway, this is from Handel's Messiah, um, part one.
for us to to really be raised up you know if we're if we're in a place of, of of being down and downtrodden if we're like a ravine or a valley um you know one of the men was was asking in our bible study like well what does that look like to be raised up or to be or to be filled and i said well you know i mean a lot of us have so many wounds and and we need um so much healing in our hearts and we have so many traumas and um, I think receiving comfort from the Holy Spirit is one of the ways that our, the ravines can be filled. And, um, and this brings us to the beginning part of Isaiah 40, which isn't cited here in uh, Luke's Gospel. Um, but I want to read it now and then look at a, a final text from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So 
actually just prior to this uh, citation in Luke is Isaiah 41, comfort, comfort my people or comfort ye, comfort ye. It's second imperative, second plural imperatives. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And then we have a voice is calling, uh, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. So, so we need to be agents of comfort, but in order for us to be agents of comfort to others, um, I was saying to these men, and I was uh, thinking for myself, we need to be um, ourselves comforted. And that's what Paul writes in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there it is. Um, you know, we need to receive the comfort, and and it's when we are being comforted by the Lord um, that that we're filled up, okay, and we're raised up to a place where we can be part of this movement of um, of, of comforting, you know, those that are in these places of of suffering around us, you know, in the valleys, in the ravines, and so I'd like to just close by listening to the beginning part of this uh, of this same uh, part of the Messiah where it talks about comfort and uh, and we'll just uh, end it after that
So we ourselves need to have our sins forgiven and we need to receive the comfort from the Holy Spirit so that we can be agents of comfort. And that message really inspired these these homeless guys that I was with and and it inspires me and I hope it inspires you. And I'd like to just close with a prayer. God, our Father, thank you that you are a God of mercy and you're a God of all comfort. And I ask that you would fill us with your, um, your, your living word and your spirit, the Holy Spirit that brings comfort to our hearts and that you would comfort us and that we would receive your comfort, that you would uh, help us to be able to step fully into that baptism of repentance you know, where we are confessing our sins and then receiving the forgiveness that is freely given to us uh, by your grace and your mercy. And we ask for, uh, you know, for just an abundance of your love. And we just thank you for, you know, your words to the woman who um, was showing me so much love to you in Simon's house. You know, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. And let us be people that are forgiven much, uh, who then in turn love much as we go into this uh, 2023. Just help us uh, to be agents of love and comfort that are really about promoting your kingdom this year. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.